You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our second week discussing A Dire Isle by R.V. Rahman, chapters 9 to 16, set in uh, Bundelkhand in India. Bundelkhand, it's a lovely place, so I hear when there's not dogs, giant spirit dogs trying to eat your face. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so an archaeological dig has gone to chaos. The person in charge was murdered. Their body found on a spooky... A cursed island. Cursed yep. island, not far out from the dig site. And our detective, Harith Athreya, mm-hmm. had been sent there by his compatriot, Liam Dunn, to try and figure out what suspicious things this now-murdered individual was investigating before her death. Yeah, this is kind of the funny thing, right? He's... You know, he's here to solve the murder. He's our detective, but he wasn't actually here initially to solve a murder. And additionally, there's these like bronze runner characters running around. Who knows? Who knows what terrible, awful nonsense Athreya will get caught up in by the end of the novel? <laughs> Besides from getting his feet very muddy. Well, I mean, you say that you've you've ended us here with Harith Athreya and Nazarene caught up. Yes. On uh, on Naztapu with the giant paw print of a dog in front of them just after Nazarene has said yes, something yes. is wrong here. There's terrible, awful things on the island. Apparently, at least one nasty dog. A, a lot of the things that we said last week is still true. It still feels like Avi Roman is having a lot of fun writing this story, but we definitely do get into that by the numbers crime fiction bit where we're going through our investigation. We're just grilling people. Well, there are sort of two halves of the story at this point, right? In the middle section. Yeah. Because there is the investigation of the characters and the finding of of the hard clues, you know, in and around the, you know, the, the compound and the base of the dig and that sort of thing. Mm. But there's also this sojourn, as you, as you point out, that Athreya and Nazreem, uh, they take as, as they go to the cursed island. And much as we discussed last week, when there's a spooky lady who seems to know everything <laughs> in a story like this. Can only go a couple of ways, yeah. Yeah, you either trust them completely or you do not trust them at all. And Athreya seems to have chosen the former. The interrogation part of this novel is like forgivingly short and mm. surprisingly dense. Yeah. You know, we go over the same few minutes of time over and over again. Mm. And Avi Rahman does not withdraw from putting the inconsistencies right in your face and it's so much yeah, fun it's not a novel that messes around right you know adira comes in and basically starts fessing up to things that no one was accusing her of including like flubbing her university exam mm-hmm. <laughs> yep um and then you know nazarene comes in and just knows everything mm-hmm. she hears everything apparently yeah madav like I don't know. He just comes in and it's like he has a pistol in his hand and He's he great. points it at the floor and he goes, now a three, a bang, ah, my foot. <laughs> nah, I love, I love Madav. I love how he's just constantly extremely suspicious. Yeah. But what of, what, what we can accuse him of, I'm sure we'll find out in the third part. We will, we will. And additionally, uh, we, we learned that uh, M.M., is not absolved of crime either, despite being the deceased. Apparently she's been stealing the work of her fellow archaeologists, or those who like work underneath her. Yeah, she's like supposedly quite well off that we even get into her like accounting history at one point, which mm-hmm. I mean Avi Ramon is showing showing his colours. Mm-hmm. We we get into how she used to be an academic and it almost seems like she kind of went on the run from academia 
because people were starting to <laughs> know her for stealing other people's yeah, work, like taking credit for other people's uh, research. Exactly. Yeah, it seems like she she started off with a, a kind of shaky career and now she doesn't tend to work with the same people again because as soon as someone gets to know her, she has to move on. It's just a long chain of burned bridges, yeah. It's kind of an interesting character trait to have to just be the person. I mean, it's the perfect subject for a murder mystery, of course. The person who nobody likes so much that you don't keep them around, right? Pretty much everyone at some point in their interrogation goes, well, you know, like, I didn't like her a lot, but I do feel a little bit sad. <laughs> but not really. Like <laughs> She's just the corpse for the sake of the plot. Yeah, I mean, as we've said many times, like, this is an entertaining novel but it is blunt yes yes we know that miss makan is dead and that she's the subject of the murder and there are more important things than going into her personal life we're more interested in her professional life we go through and it's like oh who's her next of kin what's who's the will gonna go to yes well and it's like well she has no relatives here and no relatives here she's she's like basically a nobody and then the only person we get to is it turns out the pertop is like her nephew and it's like yeah. instead of going oh well this poor boy having to deal with his blood relative dying it's like well that's obviously motive mm-hmm. <laughs> he probably killed her damn right no he he matters for the scene that he's in to establish that he exists, but then he doesn't really matter until he's established, you know, as the the nephew, right? Yeah, like he yeah, matters yeah. for his place in the mystery, which is directly contrasted with a character like uh, you know, Nazreem, who we're obviously supposed to like, at least to, to some degree, or Mopria, who uh, gallantly gets her own feet completely caked in mud for us. Like all these characters who really have like less directly to with the the mystery, I suppose. Yeah. But are more the, you know, I mean, they're the compatriots of a threat. They're the people that are helping him kind of solve the crime. Mm-hmm. So obviously we're supposed to like them more, but clearly Avi Rahman does not want us to empathize with the other side of the table quite as strongly, I, I think. On that note of like separating characters out, we like split the cast and we have Inspector Bupinder and mm. there was this just fantastic moment where Athreya basically says like, oh yeah, you just go interview all the characters that don't matter for me. Yeah, he's <laughs> I mean, you got to have your bumbling police officer. Like, But he's, he's not you know. bumbling. That's the I thing. I know, but- He's shown to be like area. really competent and there are occasional moments where he'll be like, oh gosh, why didn't I think of that? Mm. But it's moments where he's like doing the right thing and Athreya is like, but you could be doing better. I was going to say, he also doesn't have the same like groundwork that Athreya does. He doesn't have a ghost girl guiding him. Yeah. We, he can only do the best with what he's got. It's not like they're on the same playing field. Yeah. It, it's just really funny because I remember in particular this one moment where they uh, reconvene after doing their interrogations, Athreya of the main cast and Bupinder of the other staff who work on site, like the cook and the security yep. guards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Bupinder comes back in and he he says, well, we got nothing of worth from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a shame. Paul Pupinda. I hope that we see him in a in a future novel and he's much more much more present. The one thing that did kind of rub me the wrong way though mm. is that uh there's a point in the novel where Athreya talks to some guy over the phone in Delhi and sends him this information to get this confirmation back. Why why is this completely faceless character in Delhi? 
you know, taking a, a position that Bupinder could have. Yeah, well, clearly he can't ignore it because he, his interest is in financial crime. Like, it's all over. Yeah. Even though this is a traditional, you know, mystery novel, it's got modern methods of, like, mm. you know, communication with people. It's a big part of the, the the business that he's interested in. He's obviously trying to use the, like, isolated nature of the the cursed island and the jungle and all, you know, lost civilizations, that sort of thing, to, like, distance ourselves from the modern world. Yeah, yeah. But to cut it out entirely, I think, would just not be his style. It's it's interesting because, on the one hand, it does show, like, Atreya's resourcefulness. You know, he does have these contacts. Sure. But at the same time, when you have sidelined Bupinder, who is an interestingly compelling character just because he's, like, part of the fun of the novel, that's, that's the overwhelming feeling, why couldn't it have been his contact? It's not that dissimilar from when we read Sherlock Holmes and we say, oh, I need to get a hunting dog to sniff out the crook. I'll go down to the the local guy who owns yeah, the dogs yeah. and I'll ask him for help. But as you say, because we're not physically going to the, the dog house, which where you get your dogs, it, it is a bit uh, dissociating, I think. Although that said, aside from this complaint, which is minor, <laughs> I did love that the way that he confirms that what Bupinder is doing is useless mm-hmm. is by basically saying that the gate on the like house that th- the help mm-hmm. are in w- would just screech so loud that it'd be impossible for anyone to not hear it. Oh, he's like put a put a tamper evidence seal on the people not relevant box. It's very sad. I feel bad <laughs> it's for them. So funny, honestly. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping I was kind of hoping that there'd be a moment in the story where like someone opened the door and like everyone's head whips to look at it, but it just doesn't happen. No, I mean, he could have demonstrated, right? He could have said, yeah. okay, I'm going to open the gate, listen for any strange noises that you might hear. But no, we don't get quite a quite a clowning on Poopinder. Anyway, let's uh, wrap this part of the discussion here. I have to come back and pose my theory. I'm still I'm still sitting on a bit of a fence here, but I got to make my decision today. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to you earning your three potential points. I assume you're going to pose a different theory today because the last I, one I have to, was I have rubbish. To. Let, let me be honest. It was nothing even close to the truth in there. So I'm sure you have many salient criticisms to make about uh, it. Of course I do. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing R.V. Roman's A Dire Isle, chapters 1 to 16. And we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader... We are talking R.V. Romans, A Dire Isle, and we're joined this week on the show by the man himself to talk about his work, taking a deeper dive into both the world of his corporate thrillers and the joy of Harith Athreya's modern-day golden age detective work. R.V. Roman, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thank you. Entirely my pleasure. Now, we have Avi Rahman on the show both this and next week, and we wanted to spend this week talking about the corporate side of Avi's writing because we think it's kind of fundamental in a way to understanding his journey towards Harith Athreya. So let's jump into that. Your 2014 debut novel, Fraudster, is a corporate thriller revolving around banking and financial fraud with a lot of technical jargon involved. How did you manage the risk of writing on a topic that historically could just as easily excite as put audiences to sleep? Yeah, let me just go back a little bit. I I started experimenting with writing with fantasy. Uh, I did that. And then after some time, and I got the confidence, I wanted to get into crime fiction. I wanted to start with a traditional mystery, but I didn't have the confidence to actually pull one off as a traditional mystery is difficult to write. Thrillers Mm -hmm. are easier. And when I looked at what thriller I should write, 
I went to what was most familiar to me. Uh, I'm from the corporate sector. I spent three and a half decades there. Banks, I know reasonably well. So banking fraud is something which is evergreen. It happens almost every month in India, at least. Uh, so I just picked that up and there was nothing in the market. My biggest challenge there was to take, like you said, the technical jargon and dumb it down or make it more simple. You have a problem there because if you want to resonate with some of the corporate types, you need to use their language. But on the other hand, uh, for lay readers, uh, it's quite a challenge. And even as it stands today, we are in 2014, we don't have another banking fraud uh, book in the Indian market. Speaking of that balance, you kind of utilize the human element of financial crime to keep your stories interesting. For example, Varsha loses her father, who was just two weeks from retirement, and the tragedy of Shruti, who is uh, manipulated and killed because of her potential rather than anything she concretely did to harm the fraudsters. Do you find that uh, that tends to help draw out uh, and, I guess, facilitate the technical jargon by keeping that human element in there? Yes, certainly. I could have chosen to write a purely white crime, uh, white collar crime based uh, novel. But when I started writing, I figured that uh, you have to keep other people interested as well. And that's why I brought in the murder. So all my four of the corporate thrillers is a combination of white collar crime and, uh, and a murder. Now, mm. Fraudster is also being adapted into a movie. And the change that I'm seeing is what you just referred to. The human element is much larger now in, in the script of the movie. Uh, and the white collar crime is a little smaller. That's because the average uh, Bollywood um, uh, audience will not relate to some of the technical stuff. But we mm. have preserved the core of the fraud. But the human element is much, much stronger. Has it been like an interesting experience for you returning to Fraudster for its adaptation after all of these years and kind of reflecting on how your own writing has changed since then? Oh, yes. I think my writing has changed uh, very significantly, both from a language perspective as well as a structure perspective. One of the things that I would probably do in Fraudster if I were to write it again would be to make the ending a lot more concise, shorter. Now mm -hmm. I find that most of the current day readers, which, are, which is different from, let's say, my generation, they want something to end quickly and end on a high, and they don't want a drawn out explanation. That is something I would have avoided if I were to write it again. Now, the characters in Frosa, uh, they seem to have their homes nearly constantly invaded by outsiders. Uh, it almost creates this sense of of, of horror. What, what's compelling to you about the, the modern fear of criminals having easy access to even the most secure locations of our, our homes and businesses, Raman? Well, it is a reality, isn't it? Uh, it's especially in a highly crowded place like India, where security is not uh, as strong as in some of the places. It is a constant fear. If I were to leave home and go away for a week, the kind of arrangements I have to make to make sure that uh, nobody comes in uh, is a lot. And I don't think this was the case during my childhood, for example. So now it is a lot more difficult. And that threat is there at the background, I think, at every turn, be it in the corporate world or in the personal world. We were mentioning earlier on a similar note that the modern world and structure of business has gotten so complex with all of these procedures and things you have to do preparing for going away, for example. Do you think that getting in touch with all of those and understanding how to put them into a corporate thriller helped prepare you 
for the intricacies of murder mystery when you finally got to do a classic uh, golden age detective style novel? Yes and no. There are some elements which certainly prepare you for that. But there are some elements which are the deep technical ones. You want to have, at least I want to have a traditional mystery of in the vein of the golden age, but with realism in terms of technology today. So there are some parts, mm. for example, WhatsApp. Understand using that as a as a communication channel uh, certainly it helps prepping the uh, the reader. But some other uh, elements that you may see in Frogster, and if you go on to the other books, Inside Out, etc., those things do not have a, a place in the traditional mysteries. In Frogster, there's to, to move a, away from the digital side of things. There's a lot of what I like to call faceless goons or thugs. They're kind of running around doing the bidding of their their evil corporate overlords. They're sometimes very efficient, but often. Uh, very incompetent. Is incompetency at key moments sort of the most important ingredient of a good thug character, do you think? Yes, I think so. And again, it's it's very different depending on the kind of thug you might use. <laughs> there is the suave, sophisticated thug who you can't, you know, incompetence doesn't come. The guy is really, really smart. But some of these thugs who are entirely physical in, in, the, in the threat that they give. Incompetence not only gives us an opportunity for the protagonist, but it also gives opportunities for humor, which I'm not very mm. good at. <laughs> it's okay. I think it carried through. I think one of, one of my favorite details about the thugs was how often they would, they, you'd have to indicate, you know, they have an earpiece in, they're getting uh, instructions from the person behind the scenes. And this can kind of lead to them misunderstanding instructions or acting on their own and kind of screwing things up. It's it's definitely something at least I still see in like Madav as a character in that he yeah. so often comes in and he's not like entirely the thug archetype, but he does make some pretty incompetent seeming mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, these mistakes that they make, if they help the protagonist to solve the crime, which he hasn't really spent deducing, then it's a kind of an easy way out for the protagonist. So you, you don't want that. But at the same time, where it's purely physical, uh, it's fine. You can do that. And to some extent, since these uh, the first four books were written for the Indian audience, right? Uh, there is a, a certain stereotype that you see in the movies. It's easy for my audience to relate to. That's one of the reasons why I use them. You will find going going forward that in my books, uh, you will, the thugs come less and less, especially in uh, in the uh, you read um, uh, Diarial. I don't know if you read uh, Will to Kill. There's there isn't an incompetent thug there. I mean, they're a staple of the genre for a reason, aren't they? They're they're my personal favorite kind of character, just behind well, just ahead of the romantic love interest that secretly is a cold blood killer. <laughs> That's another good genre archetype. Now, anyway, based on uh, an old interview that I've dug up on the internet from 2014, I understand that you're a man who's more interested in principles uh, than in rules. Now, detective fiction is is famous for having far too many rules. How has your attitude helped you on your journey to becoming a detective fiction master? I think as a person, I tend to view things more from a principle viewpoint, even in my professional life. Uh, so the same thing I carry forward to or the direct, uh, detective as well. They come from ab initio, uh, kind of uh, from first principles and principles basis. And if I look at the theme behind some of these uh, stories, again, it's a question of reiterating principles. In Fraudster, the amount of crime that happens in the corporate world and people get away with it is huge, number one. Second, 
you have the unfortunate bystander or unfortunate collateral damage uh, happening, mm. which again is anchored in some kind of a principle of uh, as a person, I might think that this is fair, this is unfair. And I see a lot of these uh, uh, unfair things happening in the corporate world. So I think that comes from a principle there as well. Thank you to Avi Rahman for joining us here on the show this week while we discuss his novel, A Dire Isle. We will have him back to discuss full spoilers all the way through all the juicy secrets next week on the show. So make sure you get subscribed to the podcast for that or tune in next week if you're listening on 2SER 107.3. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour, Death of the Reader, and we'll be back with more in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing R.V. Romans, A Dire Isle, chapters 1 to 16. It is time, Herds, for me to pose my solution. Last week on the show, mm-hmm. I said that I thought that M.M. Markin had been killed. Miss Markin. Because yep. she was a bronze runner. Which she is, clearly. that Madav had been investigating her- but been cordoned on to, and he was trying to stop her getting ahead of the investigation. Sure, sure. And I pointed out a few other bronze runners. Before you say what you're going to say, I want to point out, there are three points available here. I'm going to lay down what you're getting points for. One, I would like you to highlight the murder, the murderer, the who, how, and the why as usual. Yes. For the second point, I want you to identify any and all bronze runners that exist in the story currently. Oh, oh. Oh, do I do I have room for error? Uh, no, if you miss even one, you will lose down a point. Yeah. The third point. Now, Athreya isn't actually here for a murder, as I point out several times. He's here to investigate. Wait, hold on. No, 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 no. I, I need one more clarification on the bronze. What's the clarification? Point. If if someone is involved in the smuggling of goods, but not part of the bronze runners, and I name them, I just I just need you to to tell me who is a bronze runner. If there is one, name them. If there are none, say none. Oh, name all the bronze runners. Okay, because my the, the <laughs> thing is, uh, Jagan, I don't know if he's a bronze runner, but he's obviously participating in their running. I don't know. It's up to you. You have to figure it out. Figure it out if they're oh a bronze runner. Oh my gosh, that's That's vicious. the second point. It is vicious. vicious. The third point is vicious. because, as I've said, now this is a murder mystery show, and I'm sure that the fans will, will I'm sure that everyone will cry foul, but Athreya is investigating financial crime. I want you to figure out who, if, if anyone, is- doing a financial crime today. Uh, those are the three prongs. So the actual murder, oh. identify the bronze runners and who's doing financial crime. Those are the three points I'm going to hand out today. Good luck. <laughs> That's so tough. It is. Because let, let's start with the last but one. But I think entirely fair. Because Dr. Corder has effectively been caught doing financial crimes. Mm. But in asking that question, I assume there's a twist that I haven't seen coming there. Who knows? Oh, dear. Oh, no. I Look, I tried to pick out the best questions I could possibly pick. Okay, let, let's 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 just put this to, to, to you listening at home in Uh-oh. case you haven't been reading along. Uh-oh, I'm scared. We found that Adhira and Dr. Corder were the ones in charge of the funds mm. and that- there was a discrepancy between their documents where Dr. Corder was putting in something that totaled to like 53 of whatever the currency was into a a third account that we hadn't found. Mm. And I'm assuming that by asking that question, there was 
there's probably a way to figure out where and whose that third account is. Maybe, maybe. My, my immediate assumption would have been Markin, but because she asked Dunn for an investigation, and there is a difference between hiding in plain sight and inviting <laughs> scrutiny. In- inviting the uh, wolf into the hen house, as it were. Yeah, so mm, that sure, is that sure. is a challenge. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to sit, sit and think on that for the episode, but it is a good transition into the other thing that I wanted to talk about. Sure. Which was my solution from last week. Yeah, let's jump into that. I think I, think I was pretty on the money last week. I just want to flip around some character roles. As I said, I might have to do. Sure, so it's like 30 seconds, and then you walk away with a point. Easy, easy breezy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that Markan had probably found the Bronze Runner stash and was catching on to them, and that's why she was killed, and that Madav is probably one of the Bronze Runners. I think that he is double-crossing whoever is asking him to investigate. Mm. And- the reason I think that is because you stopped us just after a new name drop of someone who'd been contacting Madav called uh, Kanai. Can yes, Kanai, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced. Madav walks into the interrogation, completely shoots himself in the foot, makes it very obvious that he's up to something. Because mm. like, think, think about how effective that is if Madav is investigating but also double crossing the people he's investigating then when people look in deeper to him they're going to find the investigation and stop so it sounds like you're 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 accusing Madav of, of being the killer. Is that correct? I'm going to go with yes. Okay, sure. I'm relatively confident that he is at the very least the one that carried her body to the island because he just completely blabs his mouth about that and has information that he in no way should have been in proximity to. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I just heard it around the place <laughs> when he only just happened to show up like 20 minutes ago. I do want to throw a spanner at you. Obviously, like Please. we've been to this island, I think a couple of times now at this point in the novel. And obviously, you know, Nazreem has brought us here. What about this paw print? We found a paw print on the island and Nazreem seems like extremely worried traveling to her island, which, you know, what's, what, what's going on there? She, there- she's obviously seeing something she doesn't expect to see. I think that that's probably just a setup in the same way is that- she, Is she terrified of a large half dog, half, let's say, uh, cockroach monster that roams the <laughs> island? Is that what's going on no, there? No, 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 no. I, I think that she just knows the story and much in the same way that uh, Priya asks- what kind of creature leaves no footprints when the solution is obviously that there is only one set of footprints? <laughs> so I, I think this is just part of the show by whoever's trying to uh, continue the misdirection amongst the bronze runners. No, I like it. I like it. So it sounds like you're, you're pinning this on Madav as a, as a bronze runner and he- He's killed a man. Yeah. yeah. So my bronze runner list, my bronze runner list to remind you from last week is Mitali Ulhas, Madav- Jigan, as I said, I'm just going to pin him because he's obviously involved in smuggling of goods, even if he isn't one of the bronze runners. Sure, sure. And then I'm really torn on Pradap. <laughs> like, he's, he's a fun character. He's obviously got a bit of financial interest in being there. You know, he's going under another name. Oh, which, by the way, Madhav had been at other sites going under another name, Mm. which is yet more reinforcement for the fact that he's running around the country with fake identities. Sure. Uh, But Pradhav's been going under his middle name rather than his first name so that the connection wouldn't necessarily be noticed. It's like a little suspicious that uh, MM never mentioned that to anyone. Like, I want to say that maybe she didn't even know him, Mm. like, personally, and that he is 
through that family connection taking advantage to feed information to the bronze runners or something along those lines. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with yeah, he's 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 in the loop. So your bronze runner list is Mathali, Ulhas, Madav, the uh, Jagan, is it? J- Jagan, Jagan. Jagan, that's the one. Uh, and and for top, those are your bronze yes. runners. Okay, cool. My my in the in the gray area fence, I'm still suspicious of Doctor Quarter, but my expectation is that his embezzlement of funds uh, is is probably for another reason. Because I feel like, okay, sure, you know, if they're as successful as they're alluded to be at stealing goods and fencing them off, then they probably don't need the extra source of income and paper trail. And spe- speaking of uh, financial fraud, you think that Doctor Quarter is the is the only person doing financial fraud here? Do you think that he is I that character? don't have any solid evidence to pin anyone else. Like your question is honestly the only thing that's made me <laughs> enormously suspicious that there may be a As broader financial be. scream. Yeah. I'd be suspicious. But- you know, honestly, I'm gonna gonna take a dive in and say maybe it's just as straightforward as it seems. I doubt it. Okay. I doubt it, but I'd also be clutching at straws and Okay, sure. I'd I'd feel bad if I guessed my way into an answer on this one. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right, so lock it in. Lock in your, your answers. You got the, the murderer, the bronze runners, we've discussed the bronze runners, and for financial fraud, who are you locking? You're locking in Dr. Quarter and no one else? I'm gonna go with Dr. Quarter. Okay, sounds good. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident about this novel. Because it's so easy to sit one or the other side of that line on who is the bronze runner and who isn't. Mm. It's like really easy to see a lot of what's going on in this novel, but not to get a final clear whole picture. Sure, sure. And that is a really compelling way to do a puzzle in a novel that you won't be able to get the full extent of. Yeah, sure. It's like a very clever way to play the murder mystery game efficiently as an author without dissatisfying a reader, I think. I definitely have more thoughts about the mystery for, for next week. But yeah, I think that's, you've, you've hit the nail on the net, as they say. There are many different aspects to the crime and many crimes to be accused of in this story. So I think that no matter who you are, if you spot anything in the novel that seems the slightest bit suspicious, you'll probably walk away with... Uh, a bronze trophy. Uh, nice. Um, nice. Hey, oh. <laughs> I'm terrible. Good grief. Well, I think that'll about do us for this week's discussion. Fantastic. Uh, of a Dire Isle by Avi Rahman. And of course, next week we'll be doing chapter, the chapter 17 to the end. That's the ones. Uh, of a Dire Isle starring uh, Harith Athreya. Uh, you'll listen to 2SCR on a 7.3.